Welcome to the Boss Bitch Show podcast. We are so excited to have Jack Francis with us. Hey, welcome to the show, Jack. Oh my goodness. This is a delight. As Kirsten would say, what a delight. What a delight. (laughs) I love Beyonce. Um, You know, I could intro you, but let's just jump in and tell the world what makes you a boss bitch sitting there with your beautiful hat, drinking your beautiful tea. Yeah. What makes me a boss bitch? I pay people to do things for me and they do it because I'm paying them. <laughs> Love yeah. that. So yeah. that makes me a boss. I also am a boss bitch because I haven't had a boss since I was like 22 years old. I've been working for myself for what's the math on that? 13 years. Work. Ow. Yeah. Uh, yep. Mistakes are expensive because I pay for them. That makes me a boss bitch. <laughs> Indeed. Ain't that the yeah. truth? Yeah. And I'm the last person to get paid. That also makes me a boss bitch. Yeah. It's humbling. Yeah. And you, Indeed. you've lived many, many lives. Well, that's what everyone says, but I'm the same bitch. But <laughs> I, I have a lot of iterations. Everyone's like, you've lived many lives, you know, and like you're so many different things. And I'm like starting, I'm, but yeah, I'm, I'm always transforming. I'm always reinventing and I get bored. So, you know, I have to like kill, kill the parts of me that I'm, that I was in love with that I become bored with. And then I got, and then I have to invent something else to, Mm. to excite and delight me. Right. Indeed. Yeah. The true Aquarians. (laughs) Oh, totally. Yeah. I I love the Aquarians. Yeah. Yeah. You got to catch them. They're like quicksilver. Oh, you indeed. can't catch us. That's the you thing. Can. I you know. You can only love us, but you can love us by not having us. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know Don't I know real. it? <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Um, amazing. I, I love I, that. I learned so much with us working together. For anyone listening, uh, Jack and I used to produce a comedy show together called The Venus Flytrap, and that was like five years, right? Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. And we took it on tour. I mean, mm-hmm. it was. Ooh, like it was amazing because it's really how we cut our teeth in stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. right like the industry of stand-up comedy is really misogynist and kind of hard to break into but you reached out to me one day and you're like here's the hack you have to produce your own show which was kind of like a hack that I've applied to absolutely everything in my life so I'm so grateful Mm. like to you for that Rachel because if you want anything done you have to do it yourself and also having accountability, having Work. a friend to do it with, because I'm pretty independent. I do a lot of shit by myself, but it's um, it's hard to constantly show up by yourself and do things. It's really good to have a teammate to do it. And Venus Flytrap was amazing because like I couldn't, I didn't like the scene of going around begging people for spots because it was expensive. You know, like I used to work nights. I was stripping full time then. And like, it meant taking a night off work to beg somebody to let me go on stage for no money. So it, it wasn't feasible for me to do that. So we kind of reinvented the wheel. Well, we didn't reinvent the wheel, but we learned about this hack and did our own show. And it, it guided me exactly where I wanted to go, which is long form storytelling, which is what I do now. You know, like I miss stand up so much, right? Like I, I went to a couple of shows and I was like, fuck, this is so good. But I've learned about something about myself is that as much as I wish I could do like setups and zingers, punch after punch in five to seven minutes, it's actually not how I thrive. It's not how I want to tell my story. My stories are a lot longer and complicated and I need more time up there. So learning the biz from being you and I being able to do 20 minutes once a month was the best. It was amazing. Yeah. It was such a good time. And what? I don't know. I love Venus flytrap. I found some of our flyers the other day because I'm like going through all my shit. And it's like, are we still cunts? Yes. You know, like it's just like we had it, it like it really you had a brand. Yes, we sure did. And it's so cool to see you two creating boss bitch. And I just love, I don't know. I just, I love comedy so much. I really love laughing. I miss laughing. Like, and I've also come to terms like, you know, the, 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 the whole trope that like comedians are actually miserable. I was, if I was, I was like, mm. no, we're not, no, we're not. And then I'm like, Hey, wait, I am so dark. <laughs> so dark I and it's not that I'm miserable but it's that I am so um sensitive to darkness and I know I look like sunshine right and and that's how I present and that's how people receive me but you know the more light on you the the bigger the shadow so there's a lot of darkness Mm. yeah Yeah. there's a lot of darkness in this 
and I'm trying to make friends with her. I mm. am making friends with her. I'm creating a new character because I killed Jack the Stripper, right? I didn't want her to die, but she did. Just like Jesus, she died at 33. She's been <laughs> dead for two years. But but like I had to tell everyone. I had to like handle everyone with kids' gloves. Like, and here's how she died. And that's what my last show was about, Divorce in Paradise. It was about the end of my career as a stripper that coincided with the end of, of my career as a wife. Both are tremendous amounts of work that I no longer do. Mm. And now I'm creating something new and she's darker. Ooh, she's a villain. I love that. Ooh. Yeah. Well, Ooh. I have to say, um, it, you know, it, it is fun to play with the idea of, of East Coasters being miserable. And I, I do have no joke about it after spending three weeks in LA and doing comedy. I was like, New York comedians are, are, are better because uh, we're more miserable, you know, and, uh, you know, and the it, audience it, is better. Oh, it's so much better. The oh audience is better. There's just, it's a completely different culture. Yeah. It's I, like I, the, they're being polite or they're not laugh, like they're not as effusive or like comfortable, like having like a, a guttural. <laughs> well, LA is know? pretty yeah. isolated. You know, what I've observed is that you're in your car, you're in your apartment, you're on your zoom call. You're not really like brushing shoulders with anybody. And I mm. think like laughing with other people and, and like, you know, going on the subway and busting into people on the sidewalk just to get to a mm-hmm. comedy venue is one thing. Also people are way more lubricated in New York because people in LA, some people drink a lot, but like generally like you're driving, like you're just like, people are not as loose. That's mm. a good point. I didn't think yeah. yeah that. It's a way more. And I'm totally sober mm. right now. I'm doing a sobriety experiment. I, like I stopped Go drinking on. alcohol a while ago. Yeah, no, I'm this month, the month of November, I'm doing a sobriety experiment where I, cause weed is like my favorite. I fucking love marijuana. And, um, I just noticed that I, I needed to take a break from it. Cause I was like, when was the last time I was completely sober for an extended period of time? And it's been, I couldn't really remember. So I'm doing this sobriety experiment and it's sobering. <laughs> yeah. It is sobering. I'm just looking at my life. Yep. And I'm like, wow. I really am back at zero. And um, because I kind of like I had a really nice looking life. I walked away from almost all of it. I just took my car and I was high on the adrenaline of writing, making art, producing a tour, getting free, going nuts because I I felt like I was like on on a leash for a really long time. And then now that the tour is over, the story's over. Mm. the um the grief is kind of over I really it was my grief process mm. um doing doing that show and now and I'm sober I can't just smoke weed through it and be like yeah I don't know it's funny like I'm not trying to be funny right now like weed is funny to me weed helps me see the truth with humor but right now I'm just looking at the truth with no fucking jokes and eventually I'm sure it'll be funny but right now it's just humbling mm. Yeah. And I think that this is just what I have to do right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love reading. I forgot. I fucking, you know how much of a book you can read when you don't smoke weed? <laughs> the whole fucking thing in like two days. I read this book. I read this book. I was at this, like my last sublet in LA. And I, I, I read a couple of pages of this book. It's called Having and Not Being Had by Eula Biss. It's really good. Ooh. She's a poet and she's writing about capitalism. Cause I'm trying to learn about capitalism. Cause like, we all shit on capitalism all fucking day, right? But the reality is, is we're all foot soldiers of capitalism. We're and if it. we shit on it, we're not going to be able to like figure this out and, or at least understand it so that we can dismantle it, right? I'm like, I need to better understand capitalism. And I met this, this really esteemed wealthy woman in Greece this summer. And she was like, have you read Atlas Shrugged? And I was like, I don't want to read Anne Rand. And I was like, maybe I should. Should I read Anne Rand? And then I looked it up mm. online. It's 1100 pages. It's 63 hours on audible. And I was like, I'm not giving, I'm not giving 63 <laughs> hours of my life to Anne Rand. I'm not doing it. So I was like, I called it in. I called in some literature about capitalism written by a woman. And this book, it was so good. Like she's just a great writer and it's just anecdotes, like just little like slices of life of like what it's like to live under capitalism and how we play a part in it and how we try to do it and how it's also awful as shit. Like you could be making so much money and you're still living paycheck to paycheck because you don't know how to manage it. And all these billionaires, they don't actually have any liquid. They're all just in debt, right? Oh yeah. Like, and like you can drive a super expensive fucking car, but like be have two mortgages in your house, you know, mm-hmm. which is like that's the crop that I come from, you know? 
middle-class Canadians, you know, house poor AF. Um, so I read this book, but because I'm not, and I, and I was about to leave my sublet and I'm a nomad right now. Everything I own has to be able to fit in my car. So I can't acquire new things like books. I can't buy books. So I go to the library. I have a library card or I like go to people's libraries. So I was reading this book and I had two days left and it was a whole fucking book. Right. And I was like, how am I going to be able to finish this book in two days? And you know what the answer is? It's just like, don't smoke weed. <laughs> I sat and I read that fucking book and two, I read it in two sittings and it was amazing. Wow. And it, and it wasn't work. It wasn't stress. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't like, oh, I could be smoking weed right now. I was just like lying in bed, reading a book. And I just devoured it because it was really great writing. Wow. And I related to a lot of it too, because it's about owning a house. She buys this house and she's an artist and she's like reconciling, like being a gentrifier and, but being an artist. And, and like, I, I identified with, I bought a house, you know, and um, I really loved homeownership. And then I sold my house and now I'm living out of my car, you know, it's like, and gas is fucking expensive, but I don't have a mortgage to pay. All I have right now to pay bill wise or like rent wherever I go, but um, a phone bill and car insurance. It's pretty liberating. I yeah, mean, like, I don't have to do shit. I don't have to work. Yeah. You know what that means? It means I don't have to work. And I That's really awesome. am enjoying not working because I was pretty addicted. I'm pretty work like a workaholic. I really like work, but it's also like I ignore all of my demons when I do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm talking to my demons. I'm talking to my demons this year because when I'm working, I'm not really talking to my demons. I'm not going through that shit. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just fixated on money. And then this year, this tour, I was like, I want to make so much money. I'm going to make all the money. I lost my divorce because getting divorced is a luxury. It's very expensive. It's the most expensive thing oh. I've ever brought myself. But I was like, I'm going to make all that money back with my art. Yes, bitch. And I like put this tour together and I was like, Mm-mm-mm. it broke even. I barely, I didn't, I didn't get paid. Everyone else got paid. I didn't get paid. It was hu- so humbling to work my ass off on something. And I've also never been more proud of what I've written, what I've created. The lesson is like, wow the shit you're most proud of isn't going to pay you. I mean, that's sometimes, yeah. I mean, we've fucking been there. You know, we started touring Boss Bitch Show this summer and it was <laughs> the first stop on the tour was so fucking humbling. And mm. especially like going from New York City where we had built this audience, where we were selling out every show mm-hmm. and we literally show up to the venue and it's like we don't exist. There's no yep. posters. There's yep. nothing on the screens. There's no flyers. There's it's we're ghosts. We are ghosts yep. who have arrived in this town and we're performing in four hours. Great. <laughs> like it yeah. was, you know, and then at the same time, we had the complete opposite experience in Boston, where it was like so affirming. Mm-hmm. Like a huge sold out crowd of people who were excited and who had clearly like never seen a stand up comedy show like ours, led by women, led by really funny women and mm-hmm. completely entertained for an hour and a half, you know, and we made money, you know, yeah. and it was like, you know, so like I'm I'm not quick to like make statements about um whether or not my art can make me money I think it just depends you know and well, it just depends on like where you go and when you go there and who you partner with and yeah it's, it's so circumstantial yeah well the what the really esteemed woman who told me to read Anne Rand she was like she's like when you're an entrepreneur it means you and she's like you know what she said actually was really interesting she was like when you're a capitalist it means that you invest in yourself you know, or maybe not, maybe, um, maybe, no, maybe when she said entrepreneur, I'm, I'm jumbling everything. I wasn't off the weed yet at that point. Um, <laughs> so, but she was like, you invest in yourself and she was like, and you better, and you got to take a lot of risks because only one in five will work. And I kind of, I already knew that, like, but it was really nice to hear somebody else re- like me reflect that back to me because not all of my ideas are good. Some of them are epic and then some of them are not, but I, I like, I don't usually like run it. One of the things about being a boss bitch was that like, you don't really have all, you don't always have a sounding board of people to bounce ideas off of. You're like, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to fucking do it. And then you do it. And then you like, you like the universe hands you your ass. And sometimes it's really successful. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes I do have a sounding board and I run it by people, but like most people just think I'm crazy no matter what. So it's like running my ideas by people is usually just kind of like, 
I don't want to know what you think. Yeah. No, I want to know what you think after I do it. Yes. Not before I do it because I, cause there's just too many, like, what's your fallback plan? Like, that's like all I hear my mother say. She's really supportive and encouraging, but she was always like, you need a fallback plan. So I have a degree in Russian literature. That was my fallback plan. I think and, that's that's very generational. I mean, Rachel and I have talked a lot uh, about that, yeah. with, like our mothers and like the yeah. idea of like a fallback plan, the idea of like having something traditional to do just in case. And it's like, there is no plan B, bitch. There is no is plan it. B. We this is tomorrow. what I do. I'm telling jokes today. Right. And the thing is, is that like, I've also been doing this long enough that like my skills in other areas have become obsolete. So like, I can't do anything else at this point. Like, I don't even think I could get a restaurant job in New York City. I think it would be like too competitive. Like, I don't have the resume for it. Like, there is no plan B, you know, like this is it. it. Yeah, I believe in myself and I'm good at it. And just like you're saying, like, am I going to make mistakes? Yeah. People that open fucking cupcake shops make mistakes and fail. One in five fail, I think, with restaurants. It's a one in five chance of you're, you're going to make it, you know? Right. And not not make it in general. Just make that, just ex- execute this idea with financial success. You have a 20% right. chance of being, like, in the green. Right. It's funny. Right. My mom also was raised, My her uncle, she had come back from, like, studying in France or something. And she was so excited. My mom's such a talented artist. But the first thing her uncle said to her when he got and when he saw her and he hadn't seen her in a long time was, there's no money in art. <sighs> Stuck with her forever. She like never, ever, well, never, ever. That's too harsh. She's a very talented artist, but she didn't pursue it as a career until much later. And like just hearing that, like hearing somebody you look up to who you want to impress mm-hmm. and takes care of you telling you there's no fucking money in it is exactly well, how yeah. it doesn't work out. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is like, once you believe it as the artist, and so it is like yeah. you, that is the reality you will create because that's the belief that you hold. Yeah. And so, I mean, look, I was raised by two musicians who told me after, you know, playing the violin for like 15 years to not be a musician. And I was like, what, what? are we doing? What, what, was yeah. all the, what were all the lessons and the practicing and the yeah. concerts and the fuck? And yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and then I listened to them and then tried the corporate thing and then hated it. And then, you know, eventually found my way and then, you know, had so many sort of like self doubts around like, am I a sellout if I have my corporate job? But you know what, like my corporate job has provided stability and I found a way that, you know, I have a huge amount of autonomy and, you know, when yeah my artist friends were struggling during the pandemic, you know, I could have a steady income and health insurance. So I was like, oh, wow. Well, you know, this is me dealing with a society that doesn't traditionally support the arts, you know, and finding a way to make Mm -hmm. it work, you know, because I don't really have control over the acting business and when I work, right. And comedy thankfully is paying now, but not enough to survive, you know, so. Would we even be funny? Would be, I think that there's something about comedy that like it's my favorite thing getting up on stage and like telling speaking my truth it's easier to do it on stage with a mic in my hand than it is in, uh, like sitting at a coffee table talking to someone but I wonder I feel like there's so many highs and there's so much range with like the life of being an artist and I feel like comedy is something that yeah sure one day I'd love to like make bank doing it oh that would be cool but I think right now in the, in the work that I like do getting up on stage and speaking my truth and that it doesn't always, that it's such a risk. It's a very high risk job, right? Cause you can get canceled anytime, anywhere. Right. So there's that. And then you're also not getting paid. So you're getting up there for like self-flagellation, right? You're just kind of like, well, that's what I do. I've changed my comedy rules. I can only roast myself now. So basically I'm just dragging myself. <laughs> For no money. Like it's kind of this like masochistic, but it doesn't feel masochistic to me. It actually feels very freeing. It's kind mm. of like it's really where I work my shit out and where I find these grains of truth. And it's where I get to write with the audience because the audience is writing with you, right? Their reactions mm. and everything. And I don't know. I'm kind of like, I really, ma- I really was pushing the get paid, don't ever work for free narrative for a long time because that's what sex work taught me, which I'm grateful for. It taught me a lot about worthiness. But now that I'm like, I did essentially work for free. I did. And I'm like, you know what? Like, isn't that kind of just incredible that like we get up here and we do this shit and we have no idea what's going to come of it, but we're up here doing it. 
and it's for like, it's for me. Mm. It's for me. Absolutely. Um, my voiceover agent actually came to our show the other night and I was like, that's really cool. What is he getting out of this? But you know, it was just a way for him to have a night out and connect with his client that he had never met in person because he signed me during the pandemic. So we'd only spoken on the phone and emailed and it was so wonderful. And after the show, he goes, you know, Rachel, I don't know if you realize this or, you know, if it's just a function of being older, he goes, but this is all there is. And I was like, at first I was like, is this, I, I, you know, I I couldn't tell if it was being pessimistic. And then he was like, no, it's really beautiful. He goes, cause he saw people coming in and out, both comedians and, you know, fans of the show and, and all this stuff and, and like family, you know, and he goes, you just produced an insanely successful show that made me slightly uncomfortable, but I learned some things and you were all the things because I was hosting. So he got to see both my material and my improvisation and just how I handled the thing. And he goes, and then you have all these people surrounding you and loving you and admiring you. This is amazing. So many people don't have this life. Just appreciate this moment and Mm -hmm. this, you know, and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I think that like, something that our show has done for for me is um well a lot of things but like to get back to your conversation about like capitalism i think before we dismantle it like as as an institution we have to dismantle it within ourselves mm. of like my worth is innately tied to how much money i make and how much mm. i and how much i work you know Um, And that is something that I'm constantly reminded of with our show, because we've created something so much bigger than that. We've created something that allows us to connect with, with other women like ourselves, with other marginalized groups, with, you know, our queer audience, you know, BIPOC audience. And like, those are the voices that we're putting on our show because it's important to us. And then people walk out of that show and it's almost like they don't, some of them don't realize it at first, like what has just happened to them. They're like, that was so amazing. I've never seen a stand-up show like that. They don't have to fully understand why. You know what I mean? All they have to know is that they connected, they enjoyed it. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Like, we, we, uh, we, we don't even give the straights this white dude the chance anymore. No, <laughs> they don't need our help. They're fine. They're doing just fine. Mm. Well, every time I put them on the Venus flytrap, they bombed anyways. (laughs) (laughs) I will say though, I we enjoyed it. Yes. Oh God, I love to see. I I apologize. I apologize to an audience member once, and she went, "I've never had so much pleasure watching a man fail so miserably." (laughs) Yeah, and we all bomb. Oh, everybody bombs. Yeah, Yeah. you know what I mean. But it's it's, part of if you don't bomb, it's like, are you even taking risks? Right. Right. But they just, you know, they refuse to read the room, you know, that kind of thing. Especially our rooms, you know, whether it's Venus Flytrap or because it's a different audience. It is a very different audience, which I've been incredibly spoiled by. Yeah, it's very, very affirming. I have to tell you something, Jack. Oh my God. So when I was in LA, I met this very hot comedian and, um, you know, she and I went on a date and we went to this nice little wine bar, kind of like in the Silver Lake area. And we had a nice date and we had wine and, you know, we we're exchanging ideas and talking astrology and crystals. And it was lovely. And we had this lovely kiss. Good night. And then I look up and I see a sign and it says cheetahs. <laughs> And there's a cartoon underneath it of like two hot women. And I'm going, is that like the same owner? And the girl at the door sees us and she's like, come on in. And I was like, but I, what? And she's like, it's hip hop night. I'm like, is this the same owner as Cheetahs that used to be on the other side of town? She's like, yeah, same owner. And I'm like, oh, wow. What am I, what am I about to do? And and my, my instant thought was, I don't have any cash. This is not okay. And so we, but I was like, maybe this is a nightclub version. No, it's not. So we walk in and immediately it's like, you know, a couple of beautiful strippers. And I was like, 
okay. And we turned right back around and they're like, why are you leaving? And I was like, cause I don't have any cash and I can't be in uh, a sex worker establishment and not have any cash. And she went sex mm-hmm. workers. We're strippers. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. But anyway, no, you know what, you know what, but here's the thing. Like you're, you're totally correct. Sister. I, I think strippers stripping a sex work, Same. but, but like most people, most strippers fuck about activism or labor rights or anything. They don't have the time. They have to show up and work and they got to go home and like support their family. Like there's just most of the bitches, the club bitches, I say bitches affectionately, you know, like I'm going to fuck about like labor, right? They do care, but they don't have the time or the privilege to do that. Like all of the activist work that I got involved with was separate from the club. I didn't go from the club with hardly anybody from the club to, to like activist meetings. It's kind of like 1%. It's a privilege to have the time to do activism. A lot, a lot of sex workers, they're not like, and like the sex work has a lot of stigma attached to it, but it's also like, but that's like the horror phobia, right? Of like, I'm not doing this, I'm doing right. this. And therefore I am not bad because whores are bad. Right. But yeah, like the, the it's just like, it's not a woke space. Probably makes yeah. it hot. It, it was just, it was just, <laughs> the whole thing was just so funny. And like, there were definitely elements to the date that were super awkward. Cause she's like, a very interesting brain and maybe on the spectrum, which she admits to. So I'm not like talking shit, Hot. but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is great. And then to have the date and like that. Just, That's hilarious. Like awkward on top of awkward. It was great. So uh, more on the, uh, the ills of touring. <laughs> yes. So right now I'm on a parasite cleanse because um, this is how my tour ended. My tour ended the day we did the taping. We, we were all so tired. We just wanted to go to bed, but I was like, we got to go out and celebrate. So we go out to this restaurant in Hollywood where it smells like sage and there's palm fronds everywhere. And the service is fucking terrible. And I order a $19 guacamole and we all get food poisoning. And I have not been the same since tour ended almost a month ago. And I have been like, like really tired. I also went through a lot, like, like touring as a lot. And like, you know, it was, that was the whole point. It was like, just take it all out of me. It did. It sure did. It took it all out of me, but I've been really tired and lethargic and like feeling weak, just feeling generally weak. So um, I'm on this parasite cleanse. I've done a parasite cleanse before because you just, we all get parasites. It's pretty common, but it's like, you just basically cannot eat anything. You can't eat sugar or any refined Mm. foods. You can just like, it's like vegan, but no, absolutely no sugar at all. No soy products, nothing. So I'm eating like spinach and like full fat yogurt. And I actually, the food's pretty good, but you talking about pies is, is <gasps> tough because I can't touch sugar for two full weeks. And I'm, and I'm basically a monk. Well, I'm alone right now. I'm kind of on this. I'm doing the first is my first year doing the holidays um, fully alone. Wow. I'm actually, I'm kind of excited for it because the, the holiday, I don't know about y'all, but I just feel rife with obligation over the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to. Yeah. I have to buy shit for I don't have and I'm, I'm so far away from anybody I call kin that I just like I'm gonna be alone and it will the thing is like the loneliness that I'm discovering in, the, in this like this time and touring as well is like I'm not really lonely but I am starved for affection mm. I'm, I need human touch my human need for like a body is real and I don't have that right now I and it doesn't that. have to be it doesn't have to be sex although sex is nice I would love to have some hot sex but I'm not like I just need like a, someone to rub shoulders next to or a dog or something I don't have any of that so it's kind of like uh I'm basically going through this whole I'm, I'm a monk right now I'm really having a very monastic experience I'm not like smoking any weed I have I don't drink anymore I'm like barely I'm reading books and I'm uh I'm alone it's like this whole monk phase is, um, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Mm. Oh, you're sitting with your feelings and, and, and yeah. You know how hard that is for me, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Aquarius. I don't have feelings. You're no, a sparkle rising. queen. I know. I know. I get it. I mean, I think it's hard for uh, most human beings and especially hard for some. And like, mm. That was, you're reminding me a lot of like the beginnings of the pandemic. I mean, I had a full, I was already on a journey, but once the pandemic happened, it accelerated that dark Mm. night of the soul. Like, yeah, (laughs) 
Like I went to the depths, the mm. depths of who I am and like my issues and what's, you know, what's going on. Beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I'm incredibly grateful for it. And what a fucking privilege to be able to say that about the pandemic. I mean, that is not, that is a very privileged experience to be able to do that and like survive and you know what I mean? But, um, I didn't get to do that. I had to hold my breath for two years. Woof. Yeah. And like, and, and that's okay. That's my story that I was mm-hmm. holding my breath for a lot longer, not just two years. Now I was holding my breath for probably 10 and, um, and that I didn't realize it. You don't realize mm. you're holding your breath mm. until you start doing like breathing exercises and shit. You know, it's just like, it takes time, but you know, we're all on these journeys that are like, that take so much longer than we want them to. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, as they say, uh, uh, and I've said this before, but it's like, you know, self-discovery, it's not like you reach a place and then it's over. It's no, like, it's, it's a practice. Like a, it's not like yeah. a college. It's not like a college degree. It just you mm-hmm. keep going and you keep going and you, you know, I what I sort of you know discovered over the past couple of years was learning to be more like this than the huge highs and the huge lows. Mm. Mm. You know, more of a an even wave. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I feel like I'm in a really good place but I might not be in a couple of weeks. I don't know. Who knows, you know, or or I might handle it differently. I mean, Kirsten and I spoke, you know, she's had, we've both had a lot of death, both, I think literally and figuratively in the past couple of years and you know, how you handle it changes, um, you know, and, and how you handle change in your life changes mm-hmm. and even me recently being in LA like the first couple of days I was like Aah! and then I just fit right in and found my groove and then went all about my way of doing life and jamming too much in there and yeah. reminding myself not oh to yeah that. Rachel <laughs> you just, you just- you just oh, you were like the overbooking queen. I, I New York to LA. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. You fucked it raw for sure. You did. I would have Learning shows and social plans every night, you know. Wow. So about one thing one thing that I'm learning about my new ventures, which are all um like video, like I like filming things, like making Ooh. making projects that take like I shot my first pilot, I wrote it co-directed it, executive produced it. I shot it in October of last year and it's still not done because this is how long shit takes. And then yes. shooting and then shooting the the taping of the show. I'm just kind of like, I want it out. I was like, I'm going to release the taping of Divorce in Paradise on Thanksgiving weekend, which is in like a week, right? And I was like, no, bitch, you need to just slow down. So like movie making is actually teaching me patience. And it's Ooh. teaching me. And the great thing about patience, because the, here's the thing, like the instant gratification of yes, Instagram, but also stand up comedy, right? You get oh. up there and you know, immediately if you did a good job with movie making, you work on something for three years and then everyone trashes it. And you're like, oh, great. I, it took me three <laughs> years to know if this was good or not. And like, and I, it, but it's also teaching me that in this process, because I, I can't just like wait for everyone's eat. And I'm also like taking time to do it, but it just makes me afford more time to enjoy my life because things mm. don't happen as quickly. And and I don't know, isn't that nice? Yeah. Isn't that It nice is nice. And that yeah. and that yeah. I would say is a part of, you know, deconstructing capitalism inside you is allowing yourself to slow down, allowing yes. I mean, Rachel and I have talked about this so much like let's enjoy what we've built. Let's enjoy yeah. it Inst- instead yes. of like immediately moving on to the next thing like, oh, what's the next thing we can do? What's the next thing we can do? Like, let's enjoy what we have just created and like mm-hmm. sit in it and like swim in it, you know, and mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And I think both of us really have done that. I've certainly like done that and been like, oh, man, I have a day off today and I'm just gonna fully have a day off. And it- And I think, you know, of course, it's like some dumb Instagram meme, but like artists, creative people need to rest. They need to turn off in order to relax their body enough to then have the next idea and be inspired. And like, if we're just constantly like running ourselves ragged, it's like, I don't think... 
I think that's a I think that's a fallacy about art that we have to like one be a starving artist or that we have to like mm-hmm. like work ourselves to the bone and like completely exhaust ourselves in order to make something valuable. Like I think that's that's a lie capitalism taught us. That's, well, yeah, you know. and the content creation, you know, I, I mean, I just that is one way to to do it and it's not the only way and for me if I'm not creating like authentically from something that brings me joy it just feels like shitty and feels gross yeah and I mean look I totally respect content creators that can do it but I there's like this older woman on TikTok who does all those cool videos where like you know it looks like she's disappearing and then and then she falls down and then there's a new outfit and then she explains how to make that and I get tired watching her explanation video because I'm like I'm never gonna do that no. like that's just not that's just not me and what I did when I was in LA was I I was doing you know my way of surrendering to the flow and a softer sort of more self-cared way of life is I would schedule my self-care. I'd be like, okay, today I'm going for a hike. Today I'm doing yoga. Today I'm going to the spa. Nice. Yes. So what is, what are, if you had a full day off, what is your ideal full day of rest look like? I just did it. I just did it for like maybe the first time in my life. I think it might've been the first time in my life. I did like a full, I did a full day off. I slept in as long as I fucking wanted. And it, and it was raining and it was cold and I could hear the rain and I just snuggled with my dog, Betty and we snuggled and we ate snacks and like, I went and got snacks. And then I like watched all like literally as much Netflix to my like heart's content. I, mm. I called, I called friends and family that I just like hadn't talked to in a while. And mm. like, not out of a sense of obligation, out of a sense of like, I would love to talk to this person. Like, let's have a chat. Like, it feels so luxurious to like make the sounds so fucking insane. This is how crazy we are. To me, it sounds so luxurious to just like call someone on a whim and like not have an end time where you're like, oh, I don't have to get on off the phone at any certain time. Mm. Like, And I did that and like mm. just like waltzed around my apartment and just kind of like mm. it was fucking beautiful and mm. simple. And then the following day, I had so much anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> the following day hit me like a truck of like my brain was just like. Oh, so you did that. All right. Well, what are you doing today? You're not doing that again, you know? And like, I I have awareness of it. So it's not, it didn't like, you know, fucking destroy me. But I was like, oh, that's funny. That's just my little, you know, internalized capitalism being like, well, you got to get back on the train. You got to, you know, Mm. you got to get back on the horse. You got to get to grinding. Or is it your mother? (laughs) vary that and it's like yeah and you know and I just tell that little voice and I'm like you know I hear you but we're actually okay right now we have we got money in the bank we're creating cool things yeah you know your dog was probably so happy my dog was ecstatic Betty snacks what kind of snacks did you have Oh my God. My favorite, one of my favorite snacks to get is the, um, it's so like trashy and gross. It's, um, the little, what do they call them? They're like these little mini cakes you get from the bodega and it's a rainbow cake and they come in three little squares and it's just like, it tastes like so deliciously artificial. Yeah. So good. And it has like the three layers mm. of cake with like jam and then it's covered in like waxy chocolate and it's so fucking mm. good, you know? Mm. And then the I poetry. just poetry. I know, right? I see it. Oh see it. your dog, the cakes, the bed, the net rain. Mm. I know. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And it's like, and I literally said to myself, like, this is what you work so hard for to be able and to enjoy like such simple pleasures without yeah. guilt, without shame. And like that came, you know, she reared her head, but mm. 
to have that for like 24 hours was mm. it was incomprehensible to like five years ago me mm. truly and that's that's gross you know it's funny there's a question on okcupid OK that says if you had a day off to do nothing would it make you feel would it make you feel good or bad mm. well rachel this is a great segue what's your day off what's your what's your <sighs> dream day off oh wow um just any time any season any place mm. no pick your perfect pick the perfect day mm. the perfect place whatever the fuck you want it can be in outer space okay i think um i've never been there but i hear the maldives are pretty cool um and so i'd have one of those houses that's like in the water mm-hmm. yeah and i would like wake up from my really cushy bed hopefully next to a very sexy person and yeah. I wake up to them going down on me. Um, mm. and then, um, after maybe we have some sex or maybe I just come and then they go off somewhere. And then I just, <laughs> I just immediately jump into the water into like the crystal blue water and the sun is on my face and I have a little like morning swim. And then, mm. you know, maybe I like, maybe there's a hammock like overlooking the water and I just like read a book or I take a nap or I meditate. Maybe I like go over to like the hacienda of the resort and I, I take a yoga class and I just, or I just a breath work, something, something. And I have a delicious like meal. That's like tasty, but nourishing and like, Hmm. Oh yeah. And then, um, maybe some beautiful like live music and some dancing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So mode it be. What? What kind so of mode it be? Oh, no. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. It's coming to you. And so you, yeah, I mean, you painted so it pretty it nicely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And like a beautiful, I don't know, cocktail and a pineapple or something. Ah, uh, yes. I tell you what, I had a vacation right before the pandemic where like literally we were going through customs and they were like, have you been to China? And I was like, what? <laughs> it was like right before the pandemic. And I did have my first like freshly cut coconut with a mm. fucking straw in it. And they poured rum inside the coconut. And I was like, I'm like good if like today is my last day. Like and I <laughs> and I like drank it on the most beautiful beach, one of the most beautiful beaches in the world, um Grace Beach in the Turks and Caicos. Mm. And I was with like two really good friends and I was like I remember like floating in the water just looking up at like the clear blue sky and I was like, yeah, I did something right. If this is it, it's kind of like what your voiceover agent said. Like this is all there is. It's just like the pure joy of being self-expressed and enjoying nature and loving others and loving the world and all of its beautiful. Yeah, that's it. That's all there is, folks. What's your Jack? Yeah, I'll take your day, Rach. I mean, <laughs> that's I'll take a both your days. I'll take, I really, Rachel, you even- Mine's like the realistic- said- day and hers is the fantasy day well I like both of your days because the idea of like curling in bed and like eating snacks with like a puppy is like another (sighs) kind of joy that I really like I'm calling into my life that I Mm -hmm. like I can't have a dog right now because I don't have a home but like I want that like I really I I those little pieces and it's funny Rachel you and I are so connected like I I heard the words coming out of your mouth before you said them like I heard nourishing before you said nourishing like I see you I'm a can't I see you Rachel I love you you know like I've loved you a long time so that was nice and like perfect day I've been seeking them out like Mm. because going through divorce it's so uh harrowing that I told myself that every single day I had to do something to show myself that I loved myself you know, I had to do a thing, I had to do an action. Right. And like, for me, like it was walking with my dog. Like that was everything to me. So my perfect day now would be like waking up slow, doing my writing, having to be anywhere and just, uh, like letting magic come to me, like just saying yes Mm -hmm. to a bunch of cool shit, having things happen and, and being somewhere where the air is really clear that I can breathe and and I'm learning that I still need to get high, even if I can't smoke weed. So I need to climb shit. 
And I think that's why it's stripping work for me because you're climbing things, you know, you're climbing mm. a pole. So I still need to climb things, whether it's a social stratosphere <laughs> or a stripper pole or a mountain, I need to climb shit to get like, to feel high. So there would be some sort of climbing element. Um, and like, I'd have a sub come by and like, you know, cook me some food and like, fuck me and then leave. And then um, I would have some like girlfriends over to like do art oh. and support each other and mm. look at the stars. Oh yeah. And oh. like and like shooting stars and ideally a UFO experience. Yes. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Need an ET experience. Yes. Absolutely. That is that. a yeah. true fantasy. I would like a day off in outer space with the aliens, please. Yeah. Well, I don't want to go to outer space. Is that weird? I, I don't what? I love the planet so much. I do love I want the them to come too. to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you know, I think I don't know about you ladies, it took me a really long time to um, figure out what I really like. Like, I think mm. so much of like, the way I was brought up, I, I had so many um, projected desires. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, like yeah. things that I was taught to like, mm. but I or, actually or like inherited, right? I inherited mm. like interests you know, mm. or inherited preferences. And mm. I think really like that is one of the joys of like approaching 40 or being in like your late thirties. Like for me, like I really just started to be like, what do I really like fashion and how I want to like feel every day? Like, do I want to feel comfortable or do I feel like being like outlandish and, you know, glamorous that also changes from day to day. And like, and that like having those desires and having those likes and whether or not they're like within my reach at that point, like also like doesn't affect my self-worth. Like I relate a lot of what you're talking about, like living out of every only what you can fit in your car. It is like that, that monk, that monastic experience that forces you to detach, to detach like your happiness and your joy from these things that you think you need. You don't mm -hmm. fucking need them. You really don't. And yeah. like, that's something that I've learned a lot with like a lot of the deaths that I've gone through. Like none of that fucking matters. None of it matters. Like, yes. Do we need to like have our basic needs met and like set ourselves up to like be okay with like food, shelter, all of these things. Of course we mm -hmm. do. We're human beings. But like at the end of the day, What's going to matter is like the time that you spent with each other and fully seeing each other and like sharing mm. joy. So I love what you said about your fantasy day of like just creating art with other women, like that mm. shared experience, mm -hmm. like a shared experience of joy. That's nothing like it. Nothing like it. And that's fucking comedy shows people. So yeah, there's yeah. nothing like it. It's magic. And it's only that one moment. And that moment's not forever. It's like, this is... This is yeah. it. It's fleeting. Yeah. It'll never, yeah. you can never recreate it with that same, no. the same, no. it'll never be recreated. No. Crowd work, a, oh. magic. Oh, it's my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah. There was a moment in LA where I didn't bring a lot of clothing and, and, you know, and I just was like, kind of just living and existing. And I went, oh, home is wherever I am. Hmm. Mm. like yeah this this is great and as you know the little cancer that I am it is really nice to have that sacred space but essentially after like my couple of days of like yeah you know because it was change and different yeah I was like oh home is wherever I am wherever I created mm -hmm. you know, right here word I love that wow how does that hit for you Jack as being like kind of nomadic right now What's home like? I you? love, well, it's a great question because I just spent, I moved into this place where I am on Sunday. It's now Tuesday. So I've been here for two and I've just spent the last two days. I finished setting up my space today. So like this That's art, great. I bought this art. I bought this in Utah as like a gift to myself. It's enormous, but I had to have it. So I put that yeah. up wherever I go. This bedspread is like mine. So I bring that wherever I go. My <laughs> slippers are my home wherever I go. Um, and I, I set up an altar. I always set up an altar and just like setting up the few possessions that I have and like rearranging some furniture, just me. And I, I hang up my, 
like hanging up the few clothes that I do have, like I my my relationship to fashion is always evolving. I fucking love fashion. And I thought that I couldn't love fashion if I was could only fit everything into one suitcase. But it's if anything, it's like you gotta love it more because yeah. you're like, I am a character, I'm a cartoon character. I'm like, I can only wear three things, right? So it's like, I wear this shit every day. And it's funny how it, emer- like, and I can't buy anything. I honestly, on principle, I don't buy anything, but sh- things come to me. Like this shirt was it. a gift to me at an art camp. So art camp is like, girls going to be able to do art. It can happen anywhere. But one of my friends brought this to me as a gift. And th- this here, this extension here is um, the legs of my first costume that I wore for Divorce in Paradise. The costume didn't really work. So it was like a one, it was a onesie. Jack the Stripper wore onesies. I don't wear them anymore. But I wore a onesie to start the tour because I was like, this feels comfortable. But I cut the legs off, but I kept the legs because I was like, I'm going to do something with it. And my mom sewed the legs onto <gasps> this to make it a long sleeve shirt. And so it's just like the cool ways things, things come about. So, you know, just setting, I think it's really important for me to have an altar and it's really important for me to have, um, food, my own food. Like Mm. I had a consultation with this woman. We did an art trade. She took, she, uh, she sold art, but like she, like the, the price, she needed flexibility on the pricing. So she was like, can I offer you one hour consultation? I'm like a wellness coach. And I was like, absolutely. And this was before the tour. And she told me, she was like, get a picnic basket. And she's like, have a kettle, have your coffee, have everything that you need to start your day so that wherever you are, you can have your morning ritual. And I'm even off coffee now. This monk life is nuts. I don't even drink coffee anymore. I I miss it, but I just know like I shouldn't be drinking it right now. So, but I have my picnic basket and I bring it every, my uncle gave it to me too. My uncle like just gave me a picnic basket. It came to me. So I have like my essentials. I have my picnic basket and I have like chopsticks. I love eating with chopsticks. So I always have my chopsticks and I have everything that I need because nobody has chopsticks out here. I'm like, you should always have chopsticks, you know, but like people don't, but I have them now. So I just have the things that I need and I have my little tea and, and like banana chips. I love banana chips, like dried fruit and stuff, just so that I'm never in a place where I'm like starving. Cause I'm like, I was bulimic for like 10, eight years. And like, you know, all the kinds of eating disorder, beautiful things that one in four people experience. So like I make bad decisions when I'm hungry and like me Mm. being without food is just a really bad idea. So I need to always just have snacks and I have a ton of food intolerances and stuff. So I just need to have my snacks available. So I have a little picnic basket and it's great. It's great. Jack taught me to eat popcorn with chopsticks Ah! best. And it was so great because I was at a, um, I was at a freedom community event in LA you know, my, my kooky hippy dippy friends that have intentional conversations. And I walked in and someone was actually using two golden disposable straws as chopsticks to eat popcorn. And I was like, Oh, so why it's important. Why do you eat popcorn with chopsticks? I thought of it as a mindfulness exercise, you know, to like slow down and like eat one kernel at a time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Also, you don't get, and you don't get butter all over your face, and your hands don't get disgusting. There's that too. <laughs> yeah, and it's oh. mindfulness because otherwise, I'm just like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. I could handful to the face. A whole handful. Yeah. Um, and I also just, I, I did love when we were both in LA, and I could just drive down the street and see your car. I was like, that's Jack's car. Yeah, it was great. I love um, it. Well, shall we delve into the big deck yes. energy cards? Yeah. I already feel your witchy powers, Jack. So I'm very excited to see what, what Jack is up. is the original introducer of taking back the word cunt in my life. So oh, these ah. cards are very fitting for her. Yeah, we used to be classy cunts and kindred. Yes, we were. And- Yes. All sorts of things. So that you, you were the genesis of, of my brain reinventing words in a positive way. So (laughs) I I dedicate. It's an honor. Yeah. I'm glad that that's. Yeah. The the big deck energy. Definitely. Mm -hmm. You know, you helped uh, spark that thought. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm shuffling. So just uh, tell me when to stop. Stop. Oh, the word is whore. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How, it's always so perfect. It's, it's real, always it's, right. It's it's like tarot. It's always right. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. And you got upside down whore. So I, I'm just super excited. Okay. So 
the definition, a whore, a person who enjoys pleasure and celebrates it. And or the river. Whore <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is, is it whore is money. Whore is indeed is about commerce. Indeed. Mm. I mean. Yes, I got that. Yeah. Well, the, since yeah. you had the reverse, it says, yes. are you disconnected from your inner whore? Not feeling sexy? Have no fear. Your whore is always right there waiting for you to tap in and turn on yourself with yourself or a lucky partner or partners of your choosing. Nice. Thank you. You know, I felt really disconnected from the whore in me and I miss her a lot. That's just not the time. Mm. but I had a sex dream like I haven't been masturbating haven't been horny haven't really been fucking like and like things that all I really enjoy and I miss sex work a lot and then it's just like it's just not available to me right now I have to do this thing mm. I have to go through this but wow. um but I had a sex dream this morning and I woke up and jerked off and I was like yes see well you're so already living it you're already living Eventually. it because here is your affirmation I am a fucking whore Sex is waiting for me. I just need to take it consensually, of course. I freely yes. and joyfully share my body. My sexual energy is my creative energy. I manifest more pleasure in my life by allowing myself to experience and co-create it in body, mind, and soul. Woof. Mm. Thank you. And who yes. is it? Um, we had someone on who uh, talked about manifestation. So mm. manifesting while you're masturbating love that because when you think about that because when you think of all the really fucked up shit that turns you on and start jerking off and you're like am i calling this in and like not in, <laughs> you know like it's like it's like what like am i powerful it's like, yeah. it's like, oh. I, think I, did, I think i did call it in it's like i'm trying to have like new jerk off material i'm trying to think of like all the good shit that i want to come to me and not like just all the exploitative shit that i want done to me and like, that's fine too. I can want that too. But I think I had that for a long time and I just don't think I want it anymore, but it's like such yeah. a good standby. I know yeah. there was like the things that turn me on and the things that I would actually want in real life are tend to be completely different yeah. things. Like, yep. I think it's just like the wires in our brain and like, there's just certain things that are so like sensory. Uh, well. I mean, taboo is hot. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, me being beaten in former lives, you know, leads me to occasionally want to be beaten in the bedroom, you know, so. Yeah. And like, to ask for that and find someone who's into that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And finding that delicate dance of like getting yeah. to trust somebody. Yeah. Mm. And I'm not always in the mood for that. But no. I like I know, but I like what you said about um, whore being about commerce because as a fellow stripper, former stripper, mm -hmm. um, we might have to, we might have to make a slight edit with that one because yeah, I feel like there's a special, like whether it's money or whatever it is, it's about the exchange, like the, mm -hmm. the energy exchange of like, mm. what am I providing mm. as a whore? It's a resource. Um, and, and that's knowing, really, yeah. And that's knowing really your worth. Thing. Yeah, to, to well, think for me, it, like divine whore. So I've been thinking a lot about how I identify sexually, right? I'm like, like, what, who do I want to fuck? How does it, how do I identify with that? Like what terms everyone's like, and like, when I start to like, talk to people who want to know how I identify, I kind of just hate the conversation. <sighs> but I was like, I think the one thing I truly identify as is a whore is like divine whore shit is that always been like what I truly connect with. Like, I know that it just makes sense to me. It just mm. makes sense. I have this because divine whore is like, you can come and you can pray at my altar and you can worship at my feet, you know? And, and what happens from, from there? And like anybody can, right? But it's like, it's, if you have that magical connection and then you can take it further. But mm. divine whore shit is as old as fucking humanity. And praying at the feet of the goddess or whomever, God, whatever. But like, that is just, that, that makes more sense to me than, than identifying as any other way. It's like, I have this gift of confidence right? Confidence in myself, right? Mm. And, and not, and not everyone has that people worship it. And, and that's just, that's, it's powerful to let to have the confidence to stand there and let people come and pray at your feet. Ooh. Ooh. And, and, and to know that it, and it's also, it takes me quite a bit of time to step up onto that fucking altar, not fucking. Yeah. And to like, yeah. to be and to hold that space and let you come and do that. It's worth something. It takes time out of my day. And it takes so much time 
and self-love and nurturing. And like, now we call it like the pink tax, right? Being a woman, like putting on lipstick and going to the gym. Yeah, that's part of it, but there's so much more to it. It's, it's the willingness and the confidence to step up onto that altar and invite somebody into your space and saying, yes, you can pray here. Or, yes, you can touch me or yes, we can do this. And like, what are your needs of having the confidence mm. to create that and to also demand uh, compensation for it? Yeah, and I think that 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 yeah. is to me. Know? and it's also Ooh. like people and and people are starved for affection right this whole culture like i'm i haven't been this i haven't been starved for affection in a long time and this is a new place for me and i'm it's making me appreciate the divine whore that i truly am because i'm offering something so sacred that is fundamental need that we all have and people should be able to pay for it because yes. it's something that we needed and not everyone can get it you know some people like there's a million reasons why people pay for affection and they're all valid. Yes. It's a human need. That. Mm. And people who provide that are divine whores. And I'm yes. a divine whore. I'm just, Fuck I'm yeah. on, I'm on rest. I'm having, I'm not a divine whore right now. Right now I'm a monk. I'm the divine whore monk right now, which is, which is a whole which new chapter. The name of but this episode. Yes, exactly. <laughs> divine whore monk. Which we might yes. get cut off and you are fabulous and incredible and truly divine and where 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 can people find you do you want them to find you <laughs> yeah please buy my art is there a website yeah strippersforever.com and Love you can it. find me at you can find me on tiktok at jack underscore francis j-a-c-q and then on instagram i'm still there jack the stripper amazing oh, we love yeah. the light you are thank you Thanks for, I was, this is so nice as somebody who's, who's spending a lot of time in isolation. This is really nice to sit and have these great conversations with both of you. Thanks for doing this. Thank it's you. It's so good for me. Yeah, oh it's my nice God. to have tea Pleasure. with you.